Okay, true or false? If I want a truly happy marriage, I need to learn to be obsessed with my spouse. According to Pastor Trent Griffith, that is false. Getting married and staying married is actually the overflow of the obsession we have with the love of God. Loving my spouse is primarily about loving God. And then my marriage becomes an act of worship to God, not dependent upon my spouse's performance. When I am obsessed with the love of God for me, I can risk being imperfectly loved by my spouse because whenever they fail to love me perfectly, it just gives me a greater obsession for the perfect love of God. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. So how would you fill in the blank here? If only I had blank, then I'd be happy. Or if only such and such and my circumstances were different, all my problems would go away. The way that we answer these kinds of statements says a lot about us. Today, Pastor Trent is going to help us look more carefully at a wrong attitude related to marriage and happiness, something we can easily find ourselves believing. Pastor Trent is in a series here on Resonate, using the Bible to debunk some modern marriage myths. If you want to listen to past episodes of Resonate, you can find them at harvestgranger.org resonate. This message was recorded in the summer of 2018, right before Pastor Trent's daughter got married. Let's listen together. Here's Trent Griffith. Let's get our Bibles open to Romans chapter 12. I'll meet you there in just a moment. Welcome to the second premarital counseling session for my daughter, Brooke, and her fiance, David, who will be married in 12 days. And so I told you, I'm just talking to two people. You guys can eavesdrop on the conversation, but uh, we have got to deal with some myths that unmarried people and married people alike sometimes believe. So we're gonna dismantle those myths. Last week, we dealt with this myth Marriage is obsolete. 40% of unmarried people think that marriage is obsolete. And so we learned last week that is not true. That is not true at all. We learned that marriage is good. Marriage is good for you. Married people live longer, are physically healthier, build more wealth, show fewer signs of mental illness, have better sex more often than people who just simply live together or are single. That You don't even have to open the Bible to see that. That's what sociology tells us. But when we do open the Bible, what we find in Proverbs chapter 18, 22 is this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. That's right. I got you trained now, guys. You, you're on it. I knew that was happening right there. So that brings us to the second myth, and it is this. Are you ready for it? Here's the second myth. Marriage will make me happy. Some of you married people are like, ah, I figured that out a long time ago. Right, But yet, some of us actually believe that I would be happy if I could simply find a mate. There, there are single people in here. You're an unhappy single person. You're like, I know that what's missing in my life is if I could just get married, if I could just find a husband, find a wife, I would be happy. And that is not true. If you are unhappy as a single person, you're going to be unhappy as a married person. Because the reason you're not happy is not because of the lack of a spouse. The reason you're unhappy is because of you. 
and you bring you into marriage. So we've got to replace this myth, all right? Are you ready for the truth? The truth is not marriage will make me happy. The truth is marriage will make me better. Marriage will make me grow. Marriage will make me change. And if you let it, marriage will make me holy. God will use marriage to get some work done in my life that he otherwise would not get done. Now, before I jump into this, I want to make some disclaimers here. I did not say that married people are better than single people. Don't say that. I didn't say that. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul makes a case in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that it's actually better to remain single in a season and for certain purposes. And so there are advantages to remaining single because you just have to care for, about the Lord's business. You don't have to care about taking care of a wife or a husband. You, don't have, you can take risk. You've got more freedom. There's advantages to being single. So be single for the glory of God. Don't waste your singleness. But for the weaker ones of us, we, we get married because we need, we need some work done on us, okay? I also didn't say this. I've replaced the word happy here, but I do not want you to hear me say that God is not concerned about my happiness. God wants me to be happy. The problem is, is so often we settle for things that are less significant that don't ultimately make me happy. Things like marriage. We learned last week that marriage is good, but marriage is not ultimate. And marriage can't make me happy. Only God can make me happy. And sometimes God uses marriage to accelerate the work. So I've asked you to open to Romans chapter 12. Now, I just don't want to jump into this. I want you to know where we're at in our Bibles. The book of Romans has 16 chapters. I've asked you to open to Romans 12. The first 11 chapters of Romans is the deepest richest, most glorious explanation of the gospel that we have in the Bible. And so for 11 chapters, Paul goes into detail about how God saves sinners. He imputes righteousness through justification by faith alone in Christ alone. And he, Jesus died for sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that his overwhelming love comes and rescues us. We read it this, uh, just a few minutes ago about how uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God. All of that is concentrated truth in the 11 chapters that precede what we're about to read. It's so glorious that Paul is almost overwhelmed when he gets to the end of chapter 11, and this is what he says in verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways Verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Even marriage is from God and through God and to God. To him be glory forever. Amen. So even marriage is to be done for the glory of God. He finishes chapter 11, starts chapter 12, and the whole tone of the book shifts. 
it goes into some of the most practical implications of the gospel on human relationships. And so we get down to verse nine and we are told about 20 rapid fire imperatives that should flow out of this depth of the wisdom and the riches and the knowledge of the gospel. Here's how it affects marriage beginning in verse nine. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, seek to show hospitality, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, rejoice with those who rejoice, Weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. I know some of you are like, well, tell me more about that. That that sounds like, I've thought about that in my marriage from time to time, doing that. We'll we'll explain that. And then verse 21 starts right where we started in verse 9. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, in a few moments, the mother of the bride is going to join me up here in just a moment because she has a few things to say to the potential bride and groom as we walk through this and just kind of share it out of our own lives and and some things that we've learned, some implications of the gospel here as we try to unpack what this verse is saying to all of us who have chosen marriage. Here's the first thing we're going to learn, four things. First thing is this, marriage is a mirror. My marriage is a mirror. Look here in verse nine, he says, let love be genuine. Love doesn't ignore or pretend like marriage is easy. In order for marriage and love to be genuine, you have to be honest about the remaining gaps in our humanity, in our relationship, the unredeemed part of us. Marriage is hard, and yet love can be genuine, even love expressed toward an imperfect person. Love needs to be genuine. Love doesn't need to be faked. And so that's why he says, abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Do you understand that the person you are married to has some residual evil in them? You're like, you didn't, I didn't have to come to church to figure that out. I, I talk about that all the time. I, I've seen it, right? And you're, the person you're married to has some intrinsic good, maybe some good things that God has deposited in them, imputed righteousness that's now coming out, it's working itself out in the most practical areas of life. But here's what this also means for you and me. Your marriage partner is God's mirror to help you see some of the residual evil left in you so it would motivate you to change and to grow. Let me illustrate it this way. How many of you husbands this morning got a glimpse 
of your wife within the first 15 seconds of her waking up. Did you get a glimpse? Did you take a look? All right. But then an hour later, did you see her? Let me ask you, was there any transformation that took place in the first 15 seconds and what happened in the next hour? Yes or no? How many of you guys are grateful for what happened in that hour, right? Do you realize there were thousands of dollars collectively spent on what we are seeing here this morning? A glorious transformation took place. There were hundreds of manpower, woman power hours that it took actually to transform, to change into the beautiful woman that showed up here at church. Now, do you know what sparked that transformation? A mirror because she stumbled in there and she looked and was like, it's time to get to work. I mean, this is, this is not, this is, I'm, nobody's gonna see this. This is not the public version of me, right? There's, that's the private version. There's some work that needs to, so, so here's the deal. Our marriage works exactly the same way. You and I have a mirror on a daily basis that we can look into to see what needs to change in us. Now, I've told you this before, I, I'm an only child, okay? I got married when I was 27. For 27 years, I did not have a mirror that bounced back to me the ugly that is me. But at the age of 27, God gave me a mirror. As a matter of fact, let me just invite my mirror to come up here on the platform with me here for a moment. And do you know what Andrea's been doing for the last 22 years? She's been exposing the residual evil that, that just leaks out of me from time to time. And she doesn't allow me to turn a blind eye to that stuff, to ignore that stuff, to pretend that stuff isn't there. Now, until God gives you this mirror, you might go through your whole life and not realize how ugly you actually are. And so God gives you a mirror to reflect back to you the things that still need to be done in your marriage. One of my favorite all-time marriage books is called Sacred Marriage. I've given Brooke and David a copy of Sacred Marriage. You have to read this before in the next 12 days to get the, the permission from the Father to, to, to actually marry you. So he, here's what Gary Thomas says in this book. And by the way, the, the subtitle of that book is, What If God Designed Marriage to Make Me Holy more than to make me happy. And this is what he says. I found there was a tremendous amount of immaturity within me that my marriage directly confronted. The key was that I had to change my view of marriage. If the purpose of marriage was simply to enjoy infatuation and make me happy, then I'd have to get a new marriage every two or three years. But if I really wanted to see God transform me from the inside out, I'd need to concentrate on changing myself rather than on changing my spouse. In fact, you might even say the more difficult my spouse proved to be, the more opportunity I would have to grow. Do you realize what he's saying? The person in this room that is married to the most difficult spouse... I mean, just think about that for a minute. One of you would walk away with the prize, the most difficult spouse. I don't know who that would be, but somebody in here is the most difficult spouse. Whoever's married to that person 
has the most opportunity to grow, to change, and to reflect the nature of God in that marriage. And so marriage makes me better. The second part of verse 10 says, outdo one another in showing honor. And I just, I love this word honor. Honor just means placing high value on someone or something. So bringing everything you can think to honor them. And I bet you just did this naturally when you were dating. So think back to when you're dating and you would think for hours of ways to make them feel special or make them feel known to honor them. Then you get married and you have kids and it's just the dailyness of life and we just kind of throw honor out the window and yet we are supposed to be looking for ways to honor our spouse, to even honor our kids, to honor people that we are in relationship with. So I, I really like to serve. So I'd be just like serving all over our house and I'm thinking that he's feeling honored by this. And yet I kept noticing that we just had this disconnect. We were not connecting on this. So finally I just asked him, I said, I really wanna honor you. Can you tell me what can I do to, to make you feel honored? And he just said, well, I feel honored when you laugh at my jokes. <laughs> and here I am exhausting myself trying to serve and he's just want me to laugh at his jokes. Oh, she's like running so fast around the house. It's like, I'm funny. <laughs> Sit down. Sit here and tell me how funny I am. And so I would just encourage you just to ask, ask your spouse, how do you hear honor? What can I do to help you hear honor? And don't argue with what they say, just kind of listen. And then if that goes well, you can ask the second question, which is, what am I doing that makes you feel dishonored? Because we do that. And a lot of times we don't even know we're communicating dishonor to our spouses. So my marriage is a mirror. Here's the second thing. My marriage needs a magnificent obsession. Look at verse 12, actually verse 11, he says, do not be slothful in zeal. Do you see the word slothful there? Have you ever seen a sloth? They, they have one at the Potomotomie Zoo. We went there last week. The thing is ridiculous. I mean, it moves like an inch an hour when it's being chased by a leopard. You know, it's no, it, and my son, Scott, thinks it's his favorite animal. I'm like, you're not allowed to have a sloth as your favorite animal. <laughs> Tiger, you know, shark, not a sloth. You can't be a sloth, okay? So it's, and it's biblical. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Now you look at those three commands there. You're like, wait a minute, I thought you were talking about relationships and all that's vertical. All that has to do with, with spiritual stuff. Exactly. Most people think that marriage problems are relational problems. 90% of marriage problems are not relational problems. They're spiritual problems. You've got to disconnect vertically with the Lord and therefore you're not able to horizontally, missionally love your spouse. And your spouse does not need to be your obsession. No matter how awesome your spouse is, no matter how awesome you are. You are not as magnificent as your spouse needs you to be. And this is what happens so often with married couples. They look to one another 
for things God never designed another human being to be able to give them. And then they're disappointed with marriage. Why am I not happy in marriage? It's because you're looking to marriage to do something God never designed a marriage to do. You need something more magnificent than marriage to obsess over. You know the first husband and wife in the Bible? They made this mistake. They had a magnificent obsession with God, perfect environment. God walked with them in the cool of day, perfect intimacy with God. And then one day they saw a piece of fruit and I, well, that would make us happy. And they took the fruit. And you know what the result of that was? A curse came upon mankind. For guys, here's the curse. You get to earn your living by the sweat of your brow. How many of you lived under the curse this week? A little sweat coming down your brow this morning? Yeah, so you experienced the curse. And do you know what the part of the curse was for the woman? This is what God said. Your desire will be for your husband. In other words, you will look to your spouse and desire your spouse to provide things that your spouse is incapable of providing. And your spouse is just not magnificent enough to meet the deepest need in the human heart. You need something outside of the marriage to focus on. If you are a selfish couple looking to one another, you will actually cannibalize one another. I've tried to communicate this to Brooke and David. It's like you, you get just sitting around gazing into one another's eyes for six hours. That only lasts during dating. And then three, three weeks after you're married, you're like, why are we bored with one another? And why is this not as happy? You need to get your eyes on something other than your spouse. Obviously, you need to get your eyes on the magnificence of your Savior. When spouses selfishly look to one another to provide what only God can provide, it's like you have two ticks, no dog. It's not a great relationship. And so getting married and staying married is actually the overflow of the obsession we have with the love of God. Loving my spouse is primarily about loving God. And then my marriage becomes an act of worship to God, not dependent upon my spouse's performance. When I am obsessed with the love of God for me, I can risk being imperfectly loved by my spouse because whenever they fail to love me perfectly, it just gives me a greater obsession for the perfect love of God. And when I know I am perfectly loved by God, I can risk being imperfectly loved by my spouse. It's the gospel that gives me the power and the courage to lean in and make the ultimate commitment to give my life completely to my spouse. The reason why couples aren't getting married anymore is because they, they don't wanna take the risk that they would be loved imperfectly. And you are gonna be loved imperfectly. But if you have a magnificent obsession with the Lord, you can risk being imperfectly loved by your spouse. So verse 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation and be consistent in prayer, be constant in prayer. So just as part of being human, we all hope, we all put our hope in something as humans. Yesterday I was really hoping that it wouldn't rain. 
but it rained. And we put our hope in little things like that it won't rain, or we put our hope in big things like, God, can you change me? Can you change me from the inside out? Or can you change my husband? Or can you change my kid? We're all looking for things to put our hope in. Maybe for you, it's been a long season of trial and hardship, and you're just having to endure. You're just having to remain under. Both of those two things, hope and trials are things that we are to be constant in prayer about. That we're asking God, God, don't let me just put my hope in the horizontal. Let me put my hope in you vertically. So we're praying, God, would you change me? God, would you change this relationship issue? Would you give me the endurance to make it in the trial that I'm in? where it says be constant in prayer. I hope you are praying for your spouse. We have got to be praying for our spouses. If you are not, it may be that no one is. No one. And it is a tough world. Life is hard. We have got to be covering our spouse in prayer. So for me, I... um, I'll pray for Trent every day. I ask God to give him wisdom, to fill him with the spirit, to give him vision. But I don't want to just get stuck on the same things, just praying the same things over and over. Um, So what I do is just when I'm finished with my time in the word, whatever God's showed me that day in the scripture that I've prayed for myself, then I just pray it for Trent. I pray it for my kids. I pray it for our staff, for the whole church so that I'm not just praying the same thing over and over. And maybe by the end of the year, I will have prayed like the whole Bible over him or something. So guys, let me, let me suggest to you too, the, the matter of prayer is the greatest tool you have to win the heart of your wife back to you. For you to make a commitment, never to let a 24 hour period of time go by without grabbing your wife by the hand and leading her out loud in prayer, where she hears you talking to God. Now, it's not praying for her, it's praying with her. And if she wants to reciprocate, that's great, but you as the leader to take the initiative and to talk to God about what's going on in your life. And as long as she knows you're talking to God and you're committed to following God, She may not be really committed to following you because you're such a loser in that area, but she knows God's not a loser. And if you're following him, she can follow God if you're following him. And so that changes the whole atmosphere. And so we're to be constant in prayer. We've been listening to Trent and Andrea Griffith, helping us replace the myth, marriage will make me happy with the truth, marriage will make me better. We'll hear the rest of this message next week on Resonate. Today, Pastor Trent recommended a really helpful book on marriage. It's called Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. You can find it at your local bookstore or online. Again, the book is by another pastor, Gary Thomas, and it's called Sacred Marriage. What if God designed marriage to make me holy more than to make me happy? You know, another tool God uses to transform you is your local church. So we want to encourage you to get more involved in building up the body of believers right where God has you. And if you're currently looking for a local church, why not visit Harvest Bible Chapel? We're located in Granger, not too far from University Park Mall. And if you'd like more information, just go online to harvestgranger.org. Click where it says, Worship With Us. Again, that's harvestgranger.org. 
or find us on Facebook by searching for Harvest Bible Chapel Granger. Well, all couples need a healthy ability to forgive one another. Next week, Pastor Trent and his wife, Andrea, talk about that as they continue working through this passage from Romans chapter 12. I hope you can join us for that. Thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel Granger, harvestgranger.org.